Um, for those of you who don't know, I, outside of legacy, I have a job uh, that, I, that I make money. And, um, well, the theory is to make money, but I go out and I, I do construction. And we work in different areas. Um, Kiowa is one of which we do a lot of restoration, remodeling, and things of that nature. And if you ever lived in any community, a gated community at that, their, their stipulations and regulations are pretty, pretty strict. So you've got to mind your P's and Q's or dot your I's and cross your T's. And as we get set up in preparation for doing work out there, there are certain things you're supposed to do, one of which is pull permits. Another is be licensed. And, and there's various other things that need to take place in order to do business out in those places. Well, I thought I'd share with you this past week, I, um, I started a job that we have had scheduled for months now. And it's a bathroom remodel, nothing major. And in fact, it's so not major that we didn't have to pull a permit. But I wanted to make sure everything's going to go smoothly, and I work as unto the Lord, so I'm just going to make sure I go through the proper processes, you know, and so we did. And we posted the permit on the front door, or on the second story. And um, lo and behold, a local resident called to complain that we were working without a permit because they couldn't see it where it was posted. And had I not got the permit, that could have caused trouble. But, as unto the Lord, I got the permit, and nothing could come against me in that regard. However, I overlooked the minor detail. My, um, my license out at Kiowa had, had expired. So um, this individual who came said, you know, he flashed the badge. He walked up. I said, oh, this can't be good. So he comes and said, I've got to check to see if you've got a permit. I said, oh, great. Yeah, we've got a permit. Come on up. You know, all smiles. Come on. And he looked really familiar. I thought, man, this guy. He said, well, you probably know me from when you got your business license recently. And I thought, oh. Anyway, come on up. So we walked up. We looked at the door. He show, I showed him the permit, and everything's good to go. Well, uh, he said, well, you know, sometimes we get these calls, and, you know, nine times out of ten, it's a false alarm, so you're good to go. I'm just going to take down to your information, confirm you in the system, and I'm good to go. I thought, oh, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, he did. And I'm, I wasn't, my license had expired, and I knew that was coming, so I thought, okay, well, I just need to go ahead and, and get that. Well, next door to the condominium that I'm working in, there's work going on as well all kinds of tradespeople over there. Well, they didn't have a business license either. Well, he saw my van, and I have a big cross on the van, and I have actually bought these little chrome letters that say repent, and I've stuck them on the back of my van. But anyway, just I, I put that on there, and he saw it, and he's a Christian as well, but he saw that, and he said, you know, he, he said God bless you, have a good day, you know. And um, so I scurry off to go get my business license. But he didn't shut us down. I had my guy working, cutting tile to put in. Well, he shut the other guys down because, well, he has his own reasons. Well, while I was gone and getting my business license, I spoke to the young lady in the office and said, you know, that man looked familiar. Did, is he from around here? He said, no, he's from Miami, Florida. I'm from Miami. And the name, Juan, I just thought, you know, Juan, there's a thousand Juans. I live in Cuba. But there, I, just, I recognized him, and I, I finally called him and um to confirm that I did, in fact, get my business license, but also to ask him, whereabouts in Miami did you live? Where did you go to, where did you go to school? He said, Sunset High. I thought, That's, that was my rival school. In fact, I was to go to Sunset if my high school, Braddock, didn't open when it did. Um, so we shared some stories, some restaurants, you know, talked about Cuban food, and I, we chummed it up. It was great. Well, it was an amazing thing that because I did what I was supposed to do, as a Christian, we're called to be certain 
a certain way. There's a, a, a certain level of character that we are to possess in order to even label ourselves as Christians. But you've got to have these things in line. Well, I, and luckily in that case, I did. And we had, we had what we needed to have. And it, it turned into where I just happened to know this guy. Great guy to know. And it turned into a, a great thing. That the enemy, in the form of a local resident, tried to get us shut down. But because my character was there and because the righteous act of getting the permit was there, all these things fell into place, there was no way that he could come against me and slow down the productivity. And as I, that happened this past week, I was like, wow, how awesome is that? Because the message that I've prepared for you today falls right in line with what happened. So I just wanted to preface everything with that. Now, I'm not going to get political because I know we're all up to here with politics, but I just want to say that as we evaluate our culture today, I think it's obvious that there is a darkness and a, a rottenness or a decay taking place in our current society, in our culture. And it's our divine privilege as Christians to carry the light into this dark world. And we need to, we need to really focus on, and not in a self-righteous deed, but to, to acknowledge that we are doing what we're doing to represent. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. We come from a different place spiritually, and, and we bring that power that comes along with that place that we're from through our acceptance of Christ, our repentance, and the salvation that he brings in us causes us to walk out this righteous life. And that is not for our glory, but for his glory. So that has, that's paramount in what we're going to talk about. So if you would, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading from uh, Matthew five thirteen through 16 also known as the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of you are familiar with, with this. But um, it, always, it always helps me to remember that God, he speaks to us as children. He, he brings simple things like a glimmer of light, a pinch of salt, um, little things like a mustard seed or a sheep, a handful of disciples. He uses these very things to change the world. The, I mean, everything that we know. And in fact, I believe it has a profound impact on the universe, not just the world that we live in. But I say all that, um, in, in the first 12 verses of Matthew, the Beatitudes, we read about... Um, the blessed aspects. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so on. These, these are uh, descriptions of the character that I just spoke of. The character that we are to possess as children of God. And um, that we must have if we're going to call ourselves Christians. But from verse 13 on, we're, we're told how we must function in the world as the church. If we're going to call ourselves the church, this is how we must function. Now, in 5, 13 through 16, Jesus tells his disciples that you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. Today we're going to examine exactly what it means to be that salt and to be that light which he's speaking of. It sounds simple, but as we look further into it, I, I hope that some revelation will come as, as we move forward through this. 
You are the salt of the world. Or the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He didn't say, you are to be the salt. You are to be the light. Or you should be. Or I highly suggest that you. He is making a statement. And he's telling us that as Christians, we are the light. We are the salt. No one else is going to be the light. No one else is going to be the salt. We, as his children, are going to be that. Now, notice, he doesn't tell. This always gets me. Jesus, you know, he gets up and he, he says, says these just impactful, profound things. But he doesn't go further into explaining exactly what that means to them. Now, we don't get to hear the behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm sure people walked up to him later and said, what, what, did that, what do you mean? How do, I, how do I function in that? How? This was a kind of a figure-it-out-yourself moment. But Jesus, just, Jesus puts that out there, and um, he, says, he says that we're to do that. And salt salts and light shines. That's the only real function. I mean, salt salts and light shines. We have to act upon our nature. It's the identity that he's given us. As individuals, we all are going to reflect his light differently. We all are going to salt the earth differently. I believe that's why he couldn't make a blanket statement to that congregation and, and to the Galileans um, regarding what it is, what it means as a blanket statement. It's each individual has their own function in that. So we have to act upon our identity. Now, I coined a phrase in high school. This was before I was saved, but I guess I just got frustrated um, by certain things. But I coined a phrase that says, don't try, just be. And that was about the time Nike was coming out with just do it. And I believe that, that God, Jesus for one, would say, just do it. You know, don't think about it so much. Don't try. You know, people say, I'm going to try to quit this. I'm going to try to start that. I'm going to try, try, try. I'm going to try to go to school. I'm going to try that. Just do it. You know, he gets sick and tired of us in our mind doing these things that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm planning it. You know, I haven't quite started putting my feet to it yet. But, man, up here, whew, I'm way ahead. He's, he's not for it. He just wants us to get out in faith and just do. Just walk this stuff out. He's given us the instruction manual. We just need to start to do it. Now, I guess in a way that, you know, he's, he's like a, he's a father. He is our father. Just as my, just as Kevin Baird is my father um, in, the, in the spirit, and I look up to him as, a, as my oversight spiritually, and I would like to think that my youth look up to me uh, in some regard, and, and Kelly's and my relationship um, spiritually and the way that we live. I look up to him, and he's got a boldness and a, and a way to speak to us, and we need to be willing to receive when he says things in our spirit like, just get on with it, you know, just start doing it. We need to be able to receive that and move forward in that and not, not stand stunned and feel like, oh, you know, how dare you, and, and, and stand thinking that he's going to, communicate or converse with us about what we should and shouldn't do from this point. He just is telling you just to go, step out. So many missionaries have, have just left everything that they know has come from their comfort zone. All of his disciples. Some of you may not have known, but John, John Mark was the first disciple. Was that, wasn't that him? And some of us don't realize that John Mark was 15 years old when he was called to serve Jesus Christ. And now, Jesus is all for respecting parents, but when it came to the call, he dropped those nets, he dropped everything, and followed him. There was no question about, and, 
And I think oftentimes we need to just dumb ourselves down a little bit. And I know that sounds bad, but we need to not be so analytical and so theological about the things that the Bible says to do. We just need to get on with doing them, and we'll get a long way. I liken it to a... um, when you go into a showroom at a dealership, you know, they always put the hottest models right there in your face. You know, you walk in, you're like, I'm looking for a Volvo. Oh, I have one right here. How convenient. And you look through, and it's like, it's got everything. They open the door, and it's that smell. It's just like, take me home. And then they try to puppy dog you. You want to take it home? For the night, you know. But you, you, get, a, you get a feel for it. You're walking around, you know, you're checking it out, and it's just something beautiful. Well, you ask the salesman, can I pop the hood and see the engine? And he says, well... Well, there's no engine in, in this one, but it looks good. You know, you want to negotiate now or, or later? But the fact is there's no engine. The car does not run as good as it looks. And I say that because there's so many of us Christians who, who walk a walk. We talk, we talk a talk and we walk a walk, but we're not walking the talk that we're talking. You get me? And so we need to start to, instead of putting on, you know, these WWJD bracelets and sticking the fish on our cars and, and doing all the stuff that makes us appear as righteous or godly or God-fearing and all these wonderful things that God calls us to be, we need to just get on with doing it. I don't care if you're stinky, smelly, need a haircut, you don't, I don't like your clothes, whatever it is. If you're living the life that God said, you could put a beater in that showroom. If it has an engine, that's the one I'm driving home in. You know what I'm saying? So that being said, let's talk first about, um, you know, we're talking about salt and light. Let's talk first about what salt is. What is salt? What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think Salt. Flavor? High blood pressure? No. I mean, sodium chloride. Salt is sodium chloride. It's a staple compound. Jesus made a statement in in this that if the salt loses its flavor, well, that's not possible. Salt can't lose its flavor. If you're salt, you're salt. And salt salts. That's what salt does. Cannot lose its saltiness. Now, um, there's five aspects that I can think of. And as I was discussing this with my youth on uh, Wednesday night, we were talking about the uses for salt, and there were some other good ideas and some not-so-good ideas, but mostly good. And, and so we, came, we have five aspects of salt that I took down, and you guys may come up with more, but you might want to write these down because it helps um, to enhance the message that Jesus was, was conveying to these Galileans. Um, first of all, um, let's get this straight. We're not, we're not sugar. Let's get that straight. We are not called to be sugar. There's a lot of sugar churches out there. And we need, to be, we need to be conscious of the places that we're going and the food that we're receiving and that we're receiving sugar. I mean, salt. <laughs> I like sugar. I need to get away from sugar. But salt, we got we to make sure we're getting salt. Um, now, let's, let's examine some of the functions we have. First of all, salt functions as a preservative. Now, if you think about the times that Jesus was saying this, they didn't have Maytag or Frigidaire or any of those. They didn't have Freon. They had salt. They preserved meat with salt. Salt is a, an excellent preservative. It, it cures meat. Some of you have had cured bacon. Um, there's a process in which when salt comes into contact with that meat, it prevents it from rotting. It prevents it from decaying or, or, or spoiling. Well, the the life is lengthened on that particular item, be it salt, bacon, turkey, whatever, when it's permeated. When the salt, salt lengthens the life of all that it permeates. It has to get in. It has to get on. It has to be rubbed. You can't just kind of stand back and fling it, you know? 
and hope that it sticks. We need to take it and rub it in. Now, from a preservative uh, standpoint, yeah, that could have sounded wrong, couldn't it? Um, It is an antiseptic. It performs a negative function. I got this dictionarily here. Is that a word? Um, it, it, it performs the negative function of preventing spoiling meat from becoming even more rotten or corrupt. Well, think about that. In our world, we as Christians are called to be salt. So we are not to be secluded, kept in a jar on the shelf. We're to be out in the world permeating that which could become rotten or that which has already started to spoil, but we can stop that. And in fact, there's so many wounded people in the world that if we just take a little salt and rub it in that wound, how many of you know it hurts at first? Nobody likes to, and let alone a stranger coming and just saying, oh, look, let me just rub into that. As much as we might not like that initially, it causes healing ultimately. And we need to accept that. And as Christians, we need to not be fearful of coming to our friends, family members, or strangers for that matter, and bringing that to them. Because that's what we're, our function is. If you're not functioning like that, Jesus says you're useless. You should be nothing more than to be cast on the floor and trampled on by men. Because it's, you have no use, no value. If salt is not salting, it might as well be sugar, for that matter. Now, I want to preface this by saying we can't go to other churches and start pointing fingers and saying, Sugar, you know, that's not where we're going with this, okay? Um, but I want to say this, that when Christians come in close contact with sinful people of the world... The world is kept from progressing further into foulness. Think about that. This, is, this already is a pretty, this world is pretty screwed up. I think we can all agree to that. And it doesn't look like it's getting much better. But we as salt prevent further decay of that which we have dominion over. God has given us each dominion over our lives and over this world, the world that we personally get to influence. Take advantage of that in your own personal life and use the salt that you are to permeate that which is around you. And keeping in mind, you need your environment in order to be useful. That corrupt environment would would make you of no use if it did not exist. So we must acknowledge that, but go into it and be salty. I was started to come up with a. I was thinking, how can I, how can I illustrate this tangibly? Because I'm I'm really a, I'm a visual learner. I like to do illustrated sermons and things like that. And um, I wanted, I was you know, thinking about hanging racks of meat in here, which I don't think that would do very well. <laughs> or just like putting saltine crackers out there, but I didn't want to vacuum. So we were, I was going to do something to, to, to give you some kind of illustration as to how this works. But if, if some, your world is lacking salt, believe me, you will know it. If anybody likes mashed potatoes, try them without salt. <laughs> no good. That moves us to our next one. It's necessary for flavor. Salt is absolutely necessary for flavor. And I'm not talking about that MSG stuff. I'm talking about salt. Now, without Christians to proclaim the gospel, this world would be utterly flavorless. And as I've dwelled on this over the last week, I've really started to look deep into my life before Christ and the, the, the fun that I used to have before Christ let me say one thing. When you wake up praying to the porcelain God, you did not have fun last night. And the world oftentimes views going out and getting slammed or, you know, chasing this, you know, whatever. There's so many different, I'm not saying everybody's a, a drunk out there, but for those who, who, who know what I'm talking about, there's, there's very little fun, true fun in the world. 
You can only truly experience joy, fun, all the good stuff when you're in Christ. And when you get that, you know, people can see. Now, before I became a Christian, um, all out, I would think about, you know, going to a youth-involved function, be it dominoes at the church or bowling. I I thought, how many bowling tournaments can you have? I mean, what do Christians do for fun, really? On this side of the equation, man, I can tell you, the, the, the green is definitely gra- grassier <laughs> on this side. Y'all all know what I'm talking about. The grass is greener on the other side. That's exactly right. And it is. It absolutely is. And there's no way you could ever convince me to go back. No way to convince me to go back. Because if you look at what your life was before to what it can be or is now, there you'd have to be you'd have to be really dumb to go back but now that we're on this side we can truly flavor the world now we have a function and a role as christians each of us have our own alan is a painter i know this i see him out at kiowa there's not one i mean if you ever watch alan just take a look at him he's like a walking billboard for jesus christ but when whenever he's on site He's on now construction workers don't all worship God. And I mean, there's some, there's some, I mean, in, in every industry, but construction workers, I guess they are even labeled, you know, when a good, good looking girl walks by, what do you expect construction workers to do? It's kind of like, yeah, like a wolf caller. But it's just this label that construction workers have. Well, guess what? Us as Christians, we have labels too. And those labels are very good labels. And we should, we should act on those just like the world acts on theirs. Well, I'm going to use Alan as an example, if I may. I didn't prep you for this, but. You know, when he's working a ladder, out at, I mean, if you just stop and listen and evaluate the situation that's taking place, you've got Alan up there with a Jesus Saves shirt on, indigo painting, you know, Holy Spirit-filled, what's, I mean, not indigo, I'm a Spirit-filled painting. That's the name of his company. You just, if you get quiet enough, you listen, you will hear praise and worship music somewhere, I guarantee it. And when he comes down, he's going to have a smile, I guarantee it. There's certain things that I can guarantee, and one of which is if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and God abides in you, you are gonna resent, it's, going to, it's going to radiate from you. When he gets around another painter who's cussing and stinks like last night and just you know, not having a good day, and I look at, okay, here's Alan. He's a painter, and here's another painter. How come Alan is so, why are you so joyful? What's, what is it about this guy? You know, they do the same thing day in and day out with regards to their profession. But some, what, what is the difference? Why is it that Alan can be so joyful? Even I mean, he's not perfect. He's, he's got things going on in his life that you know, others would complain about. But no, he's joyful. Us as Christians, we are, we're to look for that in, in, in our lives. That right there, that salt, when he walks up to that other painter and starts rubbing it in. I think that's where we should use that. Let me rub it in. He rubs that salt in that other painter. And I guarantee you, if enough time goes by and that painter is exposed to him, his wounds will start to heal because of the salt that Alan rubs in his wounds. And that is what we're called to do in our profession. I don't care if you work in an office, if you work at a dealership, if you work, behind, if you work by yourself in a cubicle, I guarantee you there's ways that you can, you can, via email, I mean, there's all kinds of ways that we can impact the world. But we are the salt that causes the flavor, that makes God seem tasteful and good. Religion needs to get out. We need to bring Christ in. And that, that's what flavors this thing we call church. It's Christ. It's not us. So we need to allow him to come in and, and cause that to happen. Salt is white. 
How many can deny that? Anybody ever seen black salt, brown salt, yellow salt, green salt? <laughs> he just said asphalt. That's terrible. All right. Salt is white, symbolizing what? Purity. Well, this is interesting because I never, I never really thought about this until I was doing research and we were talking in, in, in our youth group. But Christians are to be in the world yet live pure. We are to be clean. And we do that by living different lives, different than our sin counterpart. You know, I, I can give you a copy of my life as a, as a, you know, my BC life and then my AD life. And it's different. There's definitely a, I'm the same person. I still love the same things um, and the, the true things that God put in me to love, which I, I had an interest in even then. But now I can use them to glorify him where they were perverted before, my character or who I am didn't change except for the fact of how I conducted who I am. And that allowed the purity to stand forth, and that, that will make a difference um, because we are, in fact, now I'm no longer a citizen of Charleston or West Ashley or anything for that matter. I am a, I'm now an alien. I'm a citizen of heaven. I, I'm here now, but this is not my home. This is not my this is not my world. I'm here to represent where I am truly from. When I got reborn, Noah died, and Christ lived. And I don't boast in me, but in Christ. But that's the truth. And I, I am now here for this rotting world's benefit, as you all are here for this rotting world's benefit. Now, we have to consistently resist the temptation of being like the world. And that is the hardest part that I've found, especially having a bunch of friends before I accepted Christ. Those same friends didn't die when Noah died. They just kept on keeping on. And they still had Noah's phone number. And I had positive things that had my phone number, so I couldn't just disconnect my phone. Well, those friends just kept the calling. What are you doing? It's Friday night, man. Let's go. You know, we're, we're going out. We're partying. And I had to change. I had to resist that, you know. And I know that they're not going out to do missionary work. I know what they're going out to do. And it's not going to benefit me. In fact, it's going to degrade me. And now that I've testified that I've given my life to Christ, it's going to ruin my testimony. And, I, no, I'm sorry, guys, I can't do it. And after a while, I just had to just cut them off altogether. Well, then it came to a point where I became salty enough to where I could call them back. Hey, it's Friday night. Want to come to Bible study? But you can do that after a while, you know. But first, we need to just lay off and resist them. Um, we as Christians must oppose the rotting and foul values of the world and proclaim and practice. We need to practice what we say, guys. It's so important that as we go and tell our friends all about Christ and all the, you know, we quote Scripture to them and all, but we're not living it out. I tell you what, that is going to be, that's going to be death, and, and Satan wants that so much. He wants to just ruin your, your testimony. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, as, as we've been reminded of many, many times. But we have to be holy. We have to live holy before this world. We need to be pure and different from the world. Paul said we must um, uh, keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Or uh, I think it's, it's funny, you know, we've we, we got to get in the world. We've got to permeate. We have to do that. But we can't allow the world to rub off on us. It really is kind of weird, and I mentioned it this morning in, uh, in our discovery class. We end up being, I mean, the Bible calls us aliens. You don't really get it until you do it. 
And when you go out there and you start talking to people, um, I had an opportunity to pray recently with an individual who the things of the Spirit are foreign. Foreign. The Bible's not. The power of the Bible is. But the, the Bible, they, you know, they, they could probably quote these things. But when they saw these things in action, it was like, okay, you're weirding me out, man. This, this is just weird. But when you lay hands on somebody and you pray and you rebuke the devourer, when you lay hands on someone and you pray and you resist the devil, or you, you pray that, that he just, just go, the spirit of, of infirmity just leave. When you're speaking to demons and that person's still sitting there, but you're not talking to them. You might be looking right in their eyes, but you're talking to Satan. Be thou removed. You look right and then, oh, you're weird. But that's power. But that's what it means. When we, when we start doing this, we're salt. they might see it and think you're weird right then, but guess what? Their spirit is just basking in the glory of God, saying, thank you, this is exactly what I needed. Please, just bring it on. Keep pouring it on. And then you tell these people, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Confess, I am happy person. You know, the things that, or people like me. But the fact is, as we say these things, it's, it, it works. It's that power. And we do them. We show people. We lay hands. We pray. We, we convict them. You know, we do what we can to say, listen, you know, do it. Let the Holy Spirit work through you and start to get them going. And all of a sudden, stuff will start happening. And they will become thirsty. I guarantee you. Now, fourth, I want to talk about uh, salt being a fertilizer. Now, this might sound strange to some of you, but salt, back in the day, and even still works today, where their soil was not, you know, didn't have enough nitrate or phosphates or whatever you used in your fertilizer to bring forth uh, growth in the land, they would salt the land, literally put salt, but they couldn't just cast it on the surface. They had to work it in. And as the salt worked in, to this land. Now, understand, they couldn't just dump a truckload on there. They had to work it in, in increments that worked with the land to cause this, this happening to take place. But salt fertilizes the earth, causes the earth to produce good fruit. We are salt. As we work in the earth, we can cause that same thing. Take off your, your natural goggles and put on your spiritual lenses right now because this is what it's going to take to get this. As we're scattered throughout the earth, Christians, and worked into it, fruit comes forth. Now, if anybody's ever farmed, they know that it doesn't happen that same day. It takes a while. But it doesn't change the fact that we have to do that. Now, as recently as World War II, British farmers compensated for the lack of nitrate filters by once again returning to the ancient tradition of adding salt to their croplands for increased fertility. That's a fact. I looked it up. Google. Um... But anyway, in order for it to work in the earth, it has to be scattered on the earth. That's important. Um, now, Christians, we've got to support, and, and I, I want to stay away from politics, absolutely. But I, we do need to be minded, uh, mindful of the fact that we are called as Christians to have an influence, an impact. And as we mingle with the world, we're going to partake of the things of the world. We are to live in the world but not be of the world. There's a big difference there. You've got to get a hold of that. But in our dwelling in the world, we have a duty to operate under our authority. There are certain things that we must do, regardless of how we feel about the, the um, you know, outcomes of elections or um, even if it's an outcome of a lottery ticket. And, you know, don't, don't play lottery. But if, if it's a, there's an outcome of something that you're, you're just not happy with, you still are governed by the authority 
of our Father. We must lift up our leaders in the church, at our workplace. If you have a tyrannical boss that you are under and you feel like, you know, this is terrible, God's will is not being made here, and, and you start to develop a hate in your heart or anything other than what he's called us to do, then we need to, we need to start to do the things that he says to do, and that is, number one, we need to pray for our leadership in church, in the government, at our work. When we're under an authority, we need to lift those people up. Whether we agree with them or not, we need to, we need to love God, let God love them through us. That's very hard at times, I realize that, but that is the best salt in this earth. When we, when we act on the, the, the impulses of our flesh and we start to do what the world does, and that's gossip and tear down and degrade and all those things that people do, that destroys your testimony. But we as Christians are to be salt in that when people see us respecting our authority, even under bad conditions, and praying for our authority, when that, when that prayer causes change in that authority and when decisions are made in your workplace that seem to favor the lord's desire and they see this pattern start to develop after maybe a couple years of you praying and lifting up that boss and then all of a sudden they're like wow that works you you know my bickering and whining and complaining all these years didn't do anything but you humbly setting back and praying and lifting up it, it works. Now, they may not admit it to you, but when they see it, it will cause them to be thirsty, which is what moves us on to number five. Salt causes people to become thirsty. It truly, truly does. In the same way that salt causes people to be thirsty, we need to cause people to be thirsty for Christ because we are salt in the earth. Now, if we do live as Christians amongst this world and they get to observe and learn about what we're doing and if we do it consistently and long enough, they're going to start to see a pattern. And don't be surprised when someone comes up to you and says, like I mentioned about Alan, why are you so happy all the time, man? What is it? You know, you come to the same job. It's raining where I'm working too. I mean, why, why is it that I'm ready to have a nervous breakdown, but you're always in such a good mood? And all of a sudden, the door for you to speak into their life, to bring Christ to their front door, is there. They became thirsty, and they're, they're wanting something to drink. Now, I don't mean that all the people of the world are going to do this. Because, mind you, God's elect are going to come forward, and he's going to use you to testify of his greatness to these people. But you've got to be living it out day in and day out, and it's, sometimes it seems like it's futile, but the fact is it will, it will, it will get noticed. And through us, God will generate a, a thirst. Now, we've got to ask ourselves, are we living as salt in our society? Each of you have your own story, and I'm not going to come out there and poll um, our congregation to find out who's doing the right and who's not. And that, you guys know, and God knows are you living as salt in society? Are we causing people to thirst for Jesus? Jesus declared in John, he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It's our business. That's our business, guys, to bring salt. We're not the water. We are salters. 
Just like we are witnesses, we're not judges. We go into the world and we witness and we salt. We witness and we salt. And that's our task. That's our function. Not to receive a pat on the back, but just know that your Father in heaven is glad when you do this. That he received the glory. Now, oftentimes there's, there's two extremes that people tend to gravitate towards. And um, I, want, I want to talk about this for just a moment. But uh, the two extremes of Christian life, we call it. And the first extreme is there's a lot of those who are just examples. That's that, that sports car that looked great. And, you know, it's, it's, it's flashy. You know, there are these people that, that they do, they seem to do the right thing. They don't cuss. They don't steal. They don't lie. They don't, um, they don't do a lot of bad things. But they also don't tell anyone about Jesus. They've taken religion and stuffed it under their pillow, thinking that the tooth fairy is going to come and donate to it. And there's even a lot of people that when you talk to about Christ, they're like, ooh, yeah, that's a private matter. That's between me and him. When you ask him, where did you get that? Inf- you know, are you reading this book? <laughs> I don't know, man. Everything I read in this book that God gave us, the same God we're talking about, it says to proclaim him. To, I mean, from the rooftops. This is not a quiet issue. But there's people that will live extremely righteous lives in their own, you know, as, as best as they possibly can, you know, and they just they go to church every Sunday. They're really involved. They do the humanitarianistic things that people are supposed to do, and but they don't tell anyone. They're they're walking amidst a world that's got cancer and they've got the cure, and they are not letting anyone know. That is wrong. That is just wrong. The second extreme is that. Other people that tell people about Christ. Now, I was this guy. This is, this, is a, this is bad. I would be, you know, out with my boys chasing girls. And we'd go and, you know, after you have a couple cold ones and you're feeling a little, you know, hey, you know, I, I was a happy drunk. You know, I would get my guys, you know, we'll sit around and I wouldn't be blasted drunk. Or I'd just start to want to tell them, you know, God loves you, man. Not really. You know. Look at those stars. See all those? He created those for you, man. For you. And I would just, you know, I'd tell him, God, he died on a cross. And I would get gruesome. I'd say, you know, he took these nails that were huge. And no, they didn't drive them into his hands, dude. They found the most painful spot. And they drove those nails in for your transgressions. And his feet. Let me get that again. You know, and my testimony was just going down the drain. As I'm, and the further down I went down that drain, the, the higher I got lifted God up. You know, he's great. And I wanted to dance. I was, now David, he had it right. He, he got to where he looked drunk. He was dancing around the streets, praising Jesus. Thank God. And his wife even said, uh-oh, he got into the, you know, grandpa's cough medicine. But the fact is, he was just praising God. He was drunk in the spirit. There's a big difference. But I was, my testimony was terrible, but my confession was great. I was telling this guy, you know, I could tell him everything that he needed to know about Jesus Christ. And it was, it was I could just picture God now that I can look back on it, just saying, dude, you are, you're not even, I don't, I don't think he said dude. But he was looking down at me thinking, how, can, how dare you? you? You call yourself a chosen one of mine, and this is how you conduct yourself? That's equivalent to an ambassador from London 
flying over here on the Learjet, coming out with his shirt untucked, you know, and scratching his wife beater. Hey, everybody, you know, I'm here. You're going to look at that and think, this guy's a joke. Well, I believe that that's the testimony that I was giving people. You know, I had this, you know, I would talk, I'll use the name Jesus, and I think that's precisely when he says, don't use my name in vain. Don't you dare. How dare you? And when I got that revelation, I tell you what, that'll change your attitude real quick. Um, but we are not to have, tell others about Christ if we're not living it out for ourselves. So there is uh, some order that needs to be um, considered there. We are to be an example, not just give a verbal witness, guys. Um, now, this is a story about when you feel like you're having little effect as a Christian. And oftentimes, I mean, if you work in a place or young people, you go to schools. I graduated from a school that had a graduating class of 2,000. So I, knows what, I know what it feels like to feel like just one little speck of rice in a big bowl. But um, here's a story to help maybe paint a picture as to how you can view um, your impact. Now, there was, a, there was a company expanding in a small town. It was opposed by the people. They didn't want it to expand. And so the company decided that I'm gonna, I want to demonstrate the difference that I make. How can I do that? So instead of cutting checks to their employees, they went ahead and paid all their employees in silver dollars. And after a while, the, the silver dollars started to circulate through that town. Now, that town didn't operate with silver dollars. So that, and once silver dollars started showing up in all the registers, they realized, wow, where are all these coming from? Well, that company that you guys don't want to expand, this is what it's doing. It started flowing all over town. Since no one was using silver dollars before, people could see the impact that wasn't noticed before. Well, once the town saw the influence of the company, they didn't, they didn't try to shut that company down anymore. In fact, they were all for expansion, you know, bring the wealth in. As Christians, we might feel oftentimes that we're not making an impact. If there was some way we can gauge it like that by using silver dollars, I'm sure if you were to start to deposit those silver dollars in people's lives and just make those deposits, make those deposits, and then after a while, if it would tangibly, if you could see it, you'd start to notice how silver dollars start working, not just in their lives, but their coworkers, their friends, their relatives, and next thing you know, you might be sitting in an attorney's office and uh, notice the, the prosecuting attorney flipping over a silver coin. You're like, yes, he's a Christian. He got, you know, it got around to him. But the fact is, it does. As you, as you sow those, those bits of salt in people's lives, it absolutely makes an impact. When we are the salt of the earth, we will have a profound impact. Now, one thing I want to say is that even though you can't make a, you know, you've all heard the, you've all heard the saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. He has to be thirsty. Now, the next thing I want to talk about <laughs> in the dark is light. Can you just kill, put one of those on, Dan? Well, light. Now, if I were over here and it was dark, I'll do this. A lot of people live right about here. And this is me. There's a sense of vanity. That's perfect. Impatience. Fear. Lust. Anger. All these things cause people 
to live a dead life. And after a while, they live this life and they start to get salted. People like you run into people like this. And you point out that there's a light. They came to you and said, why are you so happy, Alan? Well, there's a light. You see it? It's right over there. That's the light. And Alan radiates the light. That person, after a while, starts to evaluate the light and look at the light and think, wow, I don't know. Because when you get into the light, you expose all of these things. You don't want people to know all of this. But I tell you, when you get into the light, there's a scripture. John chapter 3. The light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should not be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. That they have been done in God. Now you can all clearly see. Let me move this. That's better. Now, I'm in the light. And you know what? I've got a little reflection going on here. I can see some faces out there. Now I'm blinded up here. That light is in my face. I can't see a single one of you. But I know that it's dark. I don't know specifically what is in the darkness, but I do know that it's dark. When I come to Christ, I stand in the light, and he's exposed me. When we acknowledge our sin, when we acknowledge our need for Christ and we stand before him, that is the most important step that we can take. That is equivalent to the prodigal when the Bible says he came to himself. But it didn't stop there. He didn't just acknowledge that, what am I doing? My father's house is where I need to be. He didn't just acknowledge that, but he got up and he started making his way towards the house. And as he did, his father saw him from afar off and greeted him. He wasn't mad. He was full of cheer. He ran and hugged him, kissed him on the neck. They fell to the ground. I mean, he just restored him, put a ring on his finger, killed a fatted calf. And you got to remember, there was a famine in the land. But the father was so pleased to see his child that he came and just couldn't help but be overjoyed by the return of his child. The return. It wasn't the decision that his child had made that caused him to be so joyful. And don't be deceived. A lot of people think that there's a party in heaven when people come to themselves or experience godly sorrow or say, I'm sorry. But it's that turning, that repentance, that 180-degree turn and walking back towards the Father 
coming back to his house that was so joyful. And that's why they killed the fatted calf and had the barbecue. Now, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and, play, and praise the Father in heaven. It's not so that they like you better. It's so that they will praise your Father in heaven. When they see this, now I'm, this is me. I'm here. I made the decision. I'm in the light. But I haven't repented yet. As I repent... Forgive me for lying. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. I will not let the sun go down in my wrath. Vanity. Out of here. Lust. Be gone, Father. Make me whole. In Jesus' name. And now you can reflect God's light. You see the difference? Big difference. You guys are all squinting. <laughs> I was waiting for you. Hey, back there, Jerry. How you doing? I was, waiting, I was waiting for your pupils to dilate a little bit so that this might have a little bit more of an impact. Because, guys, the world is dark. Darkness flees from the light. As we as Christians go out, it's like, bam, I see you over there. You know, we can, we can do God. Now, we're... I am not generating this light. I am simply reflecting this light. I think they've had enough. We can hit the lights back on. It is not me. Thanks, guys. It's not us, though. Understand that it, all we are are vessels. God is the light. He is the love. But the only reason he doesn't shine through us when we accept him is because of all the junk in our lives. And it's not enough to just acknowledge him. It's not enough to just get into the light. But we need to go further in order for that light to be effective. So before I even started on the light section here, I wanted to, and I taught on repentance this morning. I think that was, that was a God intervention there. We must repent first. God calls us to repent. There is, there's a chronology here. Godly sorrow causes repentance that leads to salvation. Salvation can be translated as well in wholeness. Now, as many of you know that here at Legacy, we're all about whole people. We want people to be stripped of all uncleanliness. Anything in their life that might stand between God's light and the dark world needs to be removed. So that is first and foremost. Anything that I say from here on makes no sense has no relevance until that step has taken place. Now that that's been said, being light. Now, in Matthew 5.14, he says that his disciples are to be the light of the world. How can that be? If God's the light, how can we be the light? But like I said, we're not, we aren't the light. We just simply die. As all that happened, each, each thing that died, under my foot. You see that? As we die to vanity, it just exposed God that much more. It's through our death that God gets glory. 
Now, this is always interesting. Like the blind who has received their sight or got restored by surgery, the light of Christ comes to the spiritually blind. Um, we should not let people in spiritual darkness be kept from the light, but rather we should set them on a hill. We should, we should be on a hill. Now, I don't know what it would be like. Praise God that I don't know what it's like. But there's people that have been blind most of their lives or all their lives and get healed. And could you imagine how foreign that would be? That's in the natural. Now, in the spiritual, it's not much different. When there's individuals that might have physical sight and they might have great insight into the theological aspects of this book. And, you know, we're thankful for them for... for Argument's sake. But the fact is, there's a lot of those people that don't have spiritual eyes to see. Open the blind eyes. Unlock the deaf ears. As they were singing today. It goes way beyond the, the physical healing. This is a spiritual aspect. When we are unleashed in all of God's glory and set up on a hill, just like the lighthouse in the harbor guides ships, we will guide so many lost souls to Jesus Christ. Because the light that they go to in the dark, they see that light and that's what they focus on. And they go straight to it. When they get close enough, they realize, oh, it's not Noah. It's not Tyler. It's not Kalen. It's God. Because when they see Tyler slip up or, you know, hey, you know, he's got pimples. or no, He doesn't really. But, you know, they, they, you know they, they can't look at us as people and call us the, the redeeming factor. It has to be Jesus Christ, the light. But it's us who shines it. Um, I talked about how light points the ways. In the old days, we, before GPS, we used, or they used, stars to navigate the seas. That's always marveled me. I don't know how these guys, Christopher Columbus and all those, would get in a boat and travel. I mean, the Sea of Galilee, you know it's tiny. It's, it's really an oversized lake. But even once you get in the middle of it, you don't see land. And at night, especially. And you have to figure out where to go. Well, they would look at the stars. And the stars that we see, the planets, you know, you might see, you know, Orion's belt and there's Saturn over there. They don't generate their own light. They are reflecting the light of the sun. And I don't believe God did that by accident. He wanted us to realize that as Christians, we are called to reflect his light, that people might navigate through this crazy world by his light reflecting on us. There's this catalog that we get in the mail, and there's a shirt that I've been tempted to get. It says, Be the Moon, Reflect the Sun, the S-O-N. I just think that that's cool. But um, light in us is going to come in, in ways of reflecting joy, reflecting God, who he is, not just... You know, we have to be practical about this, guys. We can't just have this super spiritual understanding and walk around with the revelation and think that we're glowing. People are going to see the glow. No, we, it's our attitude. It's the way we handle individual circumstances. It's the way we minister to people when they're down. Or, you know, when, even when we have the right to, to maybe be upset. We have the right in, in the world's eyes to be discouraged or anxious or angry, you know, wrathful. And all these things that you might have a right. You know, you lose a, a son or a daughter and, you know, there's a proper place for mourning, but there comes a time where you, a lot of, you can't just hate the world. You can't just hate every Muslim because your kid got killed by a Muslim. You can't, you know, we have to have a, 
There has to be a light inside of us that says, you know what? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And that, that, when that comes forward in you and you radiate, you know what? It's not them that sins, but it's, it goes far beyond that. You know, I love you. Adolf Hitler, terrible, terrible, terrible things that he did. God created that man. God loved that man. God lives in me. I must love that man. It's crazy as it seems. It's the truth, though. And we need to radiate that, and not in duty. God, and I really want to hate him, but I'm, I guess I'm just going to have to love him. You know, I love you because I'm supposed to. That's not what... Light radiates joy. We need to make sure that that's taking place. Now, practically speaking, um, in the previous verses where it talks in, in the, about the Beatitudes... These are character traits that we are going to have to have. And I think that, um, I'm in John. I think as we evaluate our lives and we break these down, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. This is foreign policy right here. This is totally different than what the world would tell you. Don't be, you know, poor is bad. And they're talking about poor in spirit. This is humility they're speaking of. No, you want to be prideful. You want to walk tall, stand with your arms back, look people in the eye, shake their hand firmly, and you, you know, you go be a go-getter. You take it. Um, you know, blessed are the meek. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they don't look at the, the Victoria's Secret catalog and, you know, get off on looking at the, the Victoria's Secret catalogs or maybe the... Uh, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. You know, somebody does you wrong and you want to go and, you know, somebody's telling you, you should really, vengeance is yours, man. You need to go get it. You know, take back what's yours. These are all precepts that the world clings to, but we as Christians, man, we need to get away from that. Um, I, when I read that passage about the basket, don't let the basket come and shine, you know. The, what is it that would, who would put a light, a basket over a light? They'd go and light a lamp. And it wasn't like they hit a switch back in those days, and they used this like, fa- you know, fancy uplighting in there, you know, they're flat there and somewhere nice. I don't know, but you know, the, we we work with lighting nowadays, and we think of it as you know, click a switch and it's on. No, they had to, you know, they had to get oil and work the wick right and and do a lot, and then they would go through all that, light the lamp, and then cover it with a basket. Who would do that? It really, that's just not even practical. But Unfortunately, so many of us as Christians, just like I showed you, these things, when we're impatient, and I, you know, when we're impatient in traffic, when, we're, when our boss walks out of the room and we've been smiling, they walk out of the room and you start to, in your heart now, that, all those things are like a, a, a part of a basket just covering that light. It doesn't allow you to shine the way you should shine. But we need to make sure that we are radiating God's light all the time that he receives glory and not us. So I want to stop um, right there to, and, and move into this. Um, Tim Tebow. Anybody watch the Florida Gators game last night? Vanderbilt got smushed. Anyway, if you've ever watched the Florida Gators now, uh, ever since spring break, the announcers will use Tim Tebow as a as as a kind of an icon for what it means to be a great athlete. He's looking at being the second-time winner of the Heisman Trophy. He is 
amazing. I mean, he's, he's a better running back than a lot of running backs, but he's the quarterback for Florida Gators. Big, big guy. Oversized for a quarterback. College football player. Spring break. When you take spring break and college and put them together, you, you don't, pretty things don't come to mind. I think of a, like a you know, Girls Gone Wild video or something crazy coming out of that. But it's nuts. People in, in that field, they don't think that you know, their character means much. You know, they go, they're teenagers, you know, they're, they're in college, man. I'm going to go out and I'm going to have a blast. Spring break, no training, I don't have to go to the gym every day. I can let it all hang out. These guys go, and they just, they just let it all hang out. Well, Tim Tebow, during spring break, he, instead of going out and hitting the Las Vegas clubs and going to Mardi Gras and all that good stuff, he goes to do missionary work. And joyfully, he doesn't, he's not obligated. He does it because that's his heart. And so because of that, they start to investigate him. And start to try to pick him apart. Let's, let's really look into this Tim Tebow character. Ever since that spring break, the announcers have been talking about his missionary work. And how he's an upstanding guy. You know, they just can't find anything wrong with him. And so until they can, they're just, they just keep boasting on his, man, he's just an outstanding athlete. Just a great young man. His father must be proud. And he, he has on his... Uh, I don't know what they call those in football where, you know, they put the, the black under your pat, you know, eyes to re- stop reflecting a lot. You know, you see those football athletes with down there. But he has scripture written in there. I can do all things through Christ who, th- who strengthens me. And he's up on national television. You know, they zoom in on those faces of those quarterbacks, you know, when they're down. and You're just looking at, you know, you're getting ministered to while you're watching football. And they're talking about this guy. And I was watching it last night, and I said, now that is light and that is salt. The whole earth is getting salted. And, I mean, I, was, I could feel it sitting in my living room. It's like a little sunlight coming through the TV. And it's such a refreshing change from the norm. But Tim Tebow, with all of his, he could be just like all those other athletes that just represented all that is bad. But he is an upstanding light salt shaker. <laughs> He, he just, he, he did. I mean, it's, it's amazing how he does that. And he doesn't rub it in people's faces. And it reminds me that when, you know, we talk about salt and light, I don't want anyone to go off and take this as a, as a, as a permit to go and to just oversalt people and, and just blind people and, you know, put them under an interrogation lamp. We are called to be loving, gentle, patient, all these things as well. So when you go out and, and you are salting and you need to be conscious of how you're coming off. He's just living life righteously. And it ministers to me. We need to just live life righteously. And that will open the door for us to minister to others. We need to keep that in our spirit. Now, there's some practical examples. After I saw that, I said, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to give some practical walk-it-out examples that we can use here. We're here to do what light and salt does. If you remember, salt preserves, salt adds flavor, salt fertilizes, salt causes thirst. We are here to do that very thing in just the right way. I want to enhance, I want to I highlight that. 
Um, if you've ever been to a restaurant, Jason, I'm going to use you now, and the chef prepares a wonderful meal, and the first thing you do is reach for a salt shaker. He, wouldn't that, would that make you feel good as a chef to, to do that? No, you want, whoa, hold on now. Hear me out. Let's take, try it. We need, to be, we need to be receptive to those. We need to, as Jesus was, we invite people to come into our life. We allow them to invite us to come into their life, and we bring the light into that. But we don't, we don't cram it down their throat. We don't just start preaching at people. We need to, you know, take a bite, you know, see, what, you know, see what's going on, see what, what's needed. And be practical about how we, how we minister God's word. Make sure, first and foremost, that you are all right with God in those areas. Because, as you've all heard the plank and the speck story, you know, if, if we're looking at somebody else's speck in their eye and we have a plank sticking out of our own, just because we know the truth doesn't mean we have the right to just come in and throw it at people. We need to make sure that we're right. So, before today was through, I wanted to offer the opportunity for those of you who may, and you can hit the quiet times. In fact, if, you know what, Dan? Let's not do it. I want, can you get the musicians back up here? Um, I want us to really take this moment to, to evaluate where we are, where we stand with God in our own hearts. As we go out to radiate his light and to salt, there has to be, there has to be a wholeness inside of us. We can't be that individual trying to shine the light on people when we're so gummed up with junk. We need to make sure that we're, we're seeing what it is in us that would cause others to, to, to see our testimony and want to worship God, to cause that thirst. Because once the light is shown, they're going to be exposed. That goes without saying. But before they can even get in that light, they have to have a thirst. There's got to be something in your life, in my life, that causes people to want to get into that light. We're not going to push them into the light. We're not going to drag them into the light. We're simply going to communicate in, a, in more than just our, our, our language, but communicate through our life, through our marriages, through our friendships, through our, the way we respect our boss, the way... You know, we're honest. In the grocery line, Kelly had an example where she was, had a French friend in town from, for our wedding, and they went in and bought some stuff, and she got back $20 too much in change. And as she was walking through the parking lot, she realized, oops, she gave me too much change. So she went back to give the money. Her friend's like, what are you doing? It's 20 bucks. Exactly, it's 20 bucks. Took it back in. That friend got to see a little bit of light. Got to see some salt. And there was some conviction there. I guarantee you the next time that friend had an opportunity to, to steal, she said, well, no way. I remember what Kelly did. And I like that feeling I got when I saw that, so I'm going to do it. And somebody else might have seen that. And it just, it works. But we need to make sure, guys, that our hearts are right. We need to make sure that God is looking down. In th- he looks right down to these things. And he's saying, give it to me. He's not a taker. He's not going to come down and snatch these things out of your life. He says, give them to me. They're not yours. Give them to me. So I want to take this opportunity. If if you're sitting out there today and there's some things that are in your life that would cause your life, 
not to reflect who he is, that would hinder the work that he's designed you to do. Come one, come all. I want everyone to come forward that might be experiencing anything in their life. And just come before the Lord. And as, as you're listening to this song, allow him to open your eyes to see what it might be in your heart and your spirit that might be impeding his ability to reach out into the dark world. So I just want to pray in, in closing. And as I pray, I just I ask that the, the Holy Spirit will move on your hearts. But Father, you are an amazing, amazing, amazing God. Most of all, you're a great friend. Lord, we lean on you for understanding. Lord, we're simple humans placed in this world and it's a, it's, a, it's a dark, dark world, Lord. We know that it was not your intention that it get like this. But it is your intention that we salt this place, Lord, and that we can shine your light and to represent all that you are in this place. I don't want to live here, Lord, if I can't do your work. So if I'm not doing your work, Father, take me. But while I'm here, Father, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Father, I, I, I lift up the, the anger in people. Lord, I lift up the, the impatience. Lord, the strife, the fear, Lord, you've caused us to, to not be fearful, Lord, to be anxious for nothing but in all things. Through prayer and supplication, we give thanks to you in all things, Lord. Let it be, Father, that these young people, our next generation, Father, that they can get a grip on, Lord, what it means to be the light of the world. To die daily, Lord, for your purposes. that we can stand before you spotless without blemish that your life can be glorified Lord you live that perfect and sinless life and it's your heart that you can continue to through us live in this world a perfect life we know Father that it is your heart that none shall perish but that all all will come to repentance and to know you as their father how dare we call ourselves Christians if we're not if we're not shining your light father if we're not salting this earth how dare we call ourselves Christians because you said that we are the salt that we are the light in this world Father, we lift up your name in this place. I just pray that you would arise in, inside each and every one of us right now, that you'll take the forefront of who we are, even right now, that your glory will fall in this place, and that your Holy Spirit will cause eyes to open, ears to unlock. In Jesus' name.
Father. yourself to us, O oh Lord. Expose the depths of our heart, Father. We bring them to the light that you might take them. Take them, Father. You have justified us already, O oh Lord. Make us whole in this place, even now, Father. Cause us to be attracted to those in the dark, Lord. Are you guys desperate? Are you desperate to serve God with all that you are? Lord, in closing, I just, man, Father, you're awesome. You are so awesome. You're so merciful, Lord. We can come into your presence, Father, and you will strip us of those very things that would cause life to not just function as you've caused, as you have used called it to function in our lives. Lord, I just know that it's your heart that each one of us would stand in your presence, Father, and be redeemed, sanctified, and cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Be baptized in water and by the Holy Spirit, by fire, 
to come to that door of repentance. Lord, that's not good enough. Lord, if we would walk in to that door and realize the possibilities there, how we, as mere people, can shake the very foundations of this planet. Not just West Ashley, Lord. Not just James Island or the places that are represented here geographically. But Father, we can shake the very core of humanity. Hmm. Enliven us, Father. Fill us up to overflowing in this place. Give us a revelation of what it means to be filled with who you are. So much so, Lord, that there's not even an ounce of room for any of us to dwell and, and to spoil. But Father, that we that you will just dwell and take precedent our life just to, to cause everything in our life. You say that you cause all things to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, you have called us in this place to serve you in our own unique way. You have called us. And I petition you right now, Father, I come before you and I say, release that, that power of living, of just life, that living water, that all those wonderful things you speak of that come from your throne, that they just be unleashed into this place as we speak. And that we walk out of here transformed, Lord, that we're just renewed, moved from glory to glory. You are an awesome, awesome and mighty God. You spoke and this universe became. And you now dwell in us. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes and taunts the armies of the Lord? That circumstance in your life that might seem like a giant to you is nothing for God. All things are possible in Him. He dwells in you. That thing cannot stand David slew Goliath with a stone Lord you have called us to be more than conquerors overcomers all of these wonderful things but in our own strength Lord we're just mere men and women but through your strength and you entering into us as vessels Lord your light will shine your salt will salt 